Open your Bibles, Colossians uh, 4. We're going to start at the end of Colossians 3 because it's actually leading us into Colossians 4. And uh, just to maybe recap, there are a couple of things that's really important to understand Colossians. The one is that Paul is writing this to a congregation that he has never met. So if you are writing to somebody or you're trying to convey the importance of the gospel to somebody that you've never met, um, it is obviously important to lay the foundation. So Colossians is a good book to study theology because you see what is the most important thing in terms of Paul's theology. What is the one thing that he wanted the Colossians to understand? And we see specifically that he's talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is central to everything. He's the foundation. And then specifically, we looked at uh, Colossians 1.18 that says, in everything, he is the preeminent one. So those of you who didn't know what preeminent means, it, uh, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, but eminence is comes from an old word that means a elevation, a natural elevation. So preeminence means that he is high above and exalted above everything else. So when we speak about Jesus, we're not speaking about Jesus. He's not on the same level as the devil. He is not on the same level. He is high and exalted above. But then Paul also makes the statement and he makes the argument that if we then are in Jesus, where are we? So he's asking that question, where are we? And if we are in Jesus, that means that we are also elevated above circumstances, elevated above the devil. And therefore, we have authority on this earth. We are called to rule and reign with Jesus. It's so important to understand that. So it's not only that while the Lord and Savior is high and elevated above everything else, it's also that our identity is in Him, and therefore, we are high and elevated above everything else. So, today's sermon, I'm actually going to use a phrase that one of my friends, he's also a pastor, often quotes, okay? And it might sound a little harsh, but it's so true, because that's what Paul is trying to tell us here in chapter 3 and 4. He says, suck it up and follow Jesus. Okay, so turn to the person next to you and say, suck it up. And follow Jesus. And then, so in, in Colossians 2, and uh, specifically in verse 15, we looked at how Jesus overpowered and triumphant, oh, he was triumphant over the evil powers, the powers and the principalities of the day. And there is this idea that when we start walking in our authority, that we are just declaring his victory. We're not fighting for victory, but we are working from a place of victory. So that's also just a very important point in understanding what Paul is trying to say, specifically in Colossians 4. Okay, so we're going to start at Colossians 3, and um, we're going to work from 18. Um, the first bit, we're going to look at Colossians 3, 18 to, to 4, 1. And there Paul is, is trying to say something. He's saying that your position in this life will remain the same. The place that you occupy in the natural world will remain the same when you get born again, when you meet with Jesus. So if you are a husband, you're still going to be a husband. You're not going to get rid of your wife when you get saved. 
When you're a wife, you're not going to get rid of your husband. When you're a kid, you're still going to be under the authority of your parents. You're not now suddenly going to be the Lord and Savior of your house and your parents need to listen to you. If you're a slave, and this is very controversial, then you're still going to be a slave when you get saved. So your position is still going to be the same, but then Paul's saying, but your responsibility is going to be different. So now where you occupied this position for yourself because you thought, wow, marriage is a great thing or just being a kid, I need to be served or, hey, I'm a slave. So obviously this is not just, this is what the Bible teaches. And by the way, the Bible teaches against the slave trade. Go and read 1 Timothy 10 where it says, very specifically, those who are trading slaves, you will not end up in the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven. So the Bible is not condoning the slave trade. But Paul is saying, hey, where you are, suck it up and follow Jesus. Where you are in that position, suck it up and follow, and follow Jesus. So there are a couple of things that he's saying, and I just want to go through them in the, in the end of Colossians 3. So he says, wives... You're still a wife when you get saved. What do you need to do? You need to submit to your husband. No, not in this world, Amor. No, I have rights. What about me as the, I'm a strong leader. No, that's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus wants from you. And actually, if you look at specifically verse, uh, verse 18, it says, Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. So Paul made the statement. He said, hey, Jesus is the preeminent one. You are in Jesus. So from this place of being in Jesus, being preeminent with Jesus, you need to submit to your husband. You know what? To give up authority is ultimate authority. To surrender your life is ultimate authority. Suddenly, when I realized that I actually can make the decision to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and give up all my rights, that is, and the, and the weird thing about that is, once you do that, you actually gain more in Christ. But we somehow, we look at our position, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in your family, whether it's because of your circumstance, whether it's because of your race, of your, of your culture, and we look at these things and we say, wow, that's such a heavy load and a burden to carry. Surely God's going to release me from that when I start following Him. And God says, you know, that is not my highest priority. That is not my highest priority. My first priority is for you to understand that you need to give everything to me. You need to surrender everything to me. And once you do that, there's a new life that will start opening up for you. And then we see once that happens, you'll actually have authority in cultural issues. That's where William Wilberforce, he changed the world because he understood he had to give up everything. There's that conversation in that, in that movie, Amazing Grace, where he's sitting with his mentor and he says, hey, I don't know if I need to go into politics. I don't know if I need to go into, uh, into ministry. I feel I need to give up everything for Jesus. And then his mentor said, I think you can do both. 
So only once he arrived at the place, we understood that he should give up everything. He understand, understood that he has authority, and he, then he actually changed the slave trade. Go and watch that movie. Amazing. Go and read the book even better. So wives, submit to your husbands because it's fitting in the Lord. Well, that's, that's the easy assignment. Listen to this, husbands. <laughs> and by the way, when, when, when Jesus or Paul speaking, he says, wives, he's not talking to the husbands. In other words, husbands, if you throw that, that submission card to your wife, you are losing your authority in the home. Because Paul's not saying, hey, you need to tell your wife to submit. He's saying, your wife in the Lord should willfully choose to submit. We often, when we counsel young, young boys and they are just getting married and they read these scriptures also, Ephesians 5, and they say, but I'm on my throw, submit me. Say, brood, you alles klar Just by saying her that she needs to submit, you've already lost all your authority. Because you didn't do what God has called you to do. So what, husbands, what should you do? Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then Paul, he elaborates in Ephesians 5 about what kind of love he is talking about. And he says, love your husbands, or sorry, love your wives like Jesus loved his church. It sounds much easier to submit to a husband than to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. And you know what? None of these women in here that are married will complain and will say, well, it's going to be really difficult to submit to my husband if my husband loves me like Jesus loves the church. So again, wives, your ears should be closed and husbands, you should listen and you should hear that God's saying, hey, you need to love your wife. Not because she's submitting. No, because you are in the Lord. Your responsibility is not towards man, not towards your wife, not towards your husband. Your responsibility is towards the Lord. So love your wives and do not treat her harshly. Do not be harsh with them. Because if you're going to do that, it's going to be really difficult for her to submit. And by the way, you should be leading. And if you're not leading within the value system of the kingdom, it's going to be really difficult for God to bless you. Okay. Suck it up and follow Jesus. That is the truth. Ultimately, God's, God's ideal is for us to be fully blessed in Him, to have amazing marriages, to have amazing children, to feel loved, even emotionally. But God says, hey, I've given you responsibility. I've placed you. Your husband is not the wife. Your wife is not the husband. You need to take up your place and you need to start leading from that place of servanthood. In Ephesians 5, Paul Paul talks about we need to submit to one another. It was actually a very good example. I, I teased uh, Mike there at the back because Marilette's leading worship and she's telling Mike what to do and Mike's on sound. Great name for a sound guy, Mike. <laughs> so they are submitting to one another, but Mike is still the head of the home. But if Mike lays down his life for Marilette, 
when Mike's leading, my leg's going to go, hey, let's go. Okay. Then three, children, what should you do? Preach at your parents. No, obey your parents. It's your position. You need to obey your parents. If you're living with your with your parents, you still need to obey your parents. In the Jewish culture, if you're 13, you're supposed to be a man or a lady, a woman. You can make your own decisions. But now, in our culture, you're still living with your parents. So you need to obey them. And do you know what obey means? Do you know what that means? Obey means that if they tell you something, you need to do it. Not say, ach, man, because you know, listen. You need to do it. Immediately, because in the way that you are obedient to your parents, you're also going to be obedient to the Lord. It's actually just great training ground for you to start following Jesus. Because once, once you're out of the home and God's saying, hey, you know what? You need to go to Afghanistan or you need to sow that amount of money. You need to start that business or you need to love that person, even though that person is not loving you back. You're going to be trained in obedience and you're going to suck it up and follow Jesus. Maybe you're going to be at a, in a setting, in a business, and your boss is going to be a terrible boss. He's going to swear at you, and you have learned obedience in your home. You maybe had a few ideas on how to better the home atmosphere, and how to do dishes better, and how to assign different tasks, and you spoke to your dad and your mom about it. Maybe they didn't listen, and, but you've learned to submit to them and obey them. And then in that environment, you're like, hey, I remember doing that. I remember being trained in obedience, and I'm going to follow God in this. And you know what's going to happen? Because you ascribe to the value system of the kingdom, the king is going to arrive at your business, and he's going to promote you. Oh, he's going to change the environment and he's going to change your boss's attitude. And you know what? It might even be that God's using you to get him into a place of salvation in a relationship with the Lord. So suck it up and follow Jesus, children. <laughs> but then fathers, and it speaks to the mothers too, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. In other words, don't treat them to a point where it's difficult for them to obey you. You're so harsh with them. You come home after work, and the only thing that you want to do is you want to lie on the couch, you don't want any kind of noise. So you switch off the music, you tell them, hey, take all the Lego out. Hey, what have you been doing? You've just... Dirtying the house. And by the way, sometimes I also feel like that and I'm the pastor. <laughs> hey, and you need to do this and do this and do this. And what Cornell has been teaching me is say, Elmo, connect before you correct. Why? Because she understands there's a place where I can get to where I provoke them to discouragement where they feel they can never please their dad. And that's not a good model of who God is. So parents, don't provoke your children. Allow for them to make mistakes. When they're going to start driving, they're going to maybe crash your car. There are many kids have come to me and said, Hey, Almo, I, I want to drive. I wanna, I'm 18 years old. I want to get a license. 
or some of them have already gotten their license and say, oh, it was the worst thing to drive my dad's car. I would rather drive my, my mom's car because if I knew I'm trying out, but if I bump my dad's car, he would flip on me and I will never hear the end of it. You know, that is not a godly dad. Some wives have told me I will never drive my husband's car because maybe there will just be two nappies at the back and he will get in there and he will flip because somebody didn't clean his car. So fathers, love your children. Do not provoke them so they become discouraged. And then bond servants. So these are slaves. A wrong system, an evil system where people could own people. It's not of, not of the Lord. And there were many slaves within the early church. Onesimus, we read about him at the end of chapter 4. He was, he was actually a disciple of Paul, a disciple of the church, but he was a slave. So Paul's saying, hey, suck it up and follow Jesus. Somebody else owns you. You don't have any rights of your own, but suck it up and follow Jesus. And this is what you need to do. Obey in everything those who are your earthy masters. And then it goes on. It says, knowing, sorry, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So you're working for a difficult boss or you're in a, in a situation where maybe not that godly, God saying, hey, you're not serving your boss, you're serving me. In everything that you do, you need to serve me. And it must look like you're serving me. Sorry, myself and I speaking. And then lastly, masters treat your bond servants justly and fairly. And that speaks to employers under us. How do you want to be treated? So you need to treat your employees. And then Paul ends with that and he, he speaks about prayer and the conduct to further God's kingdom. Because constantly he's trying to communicate through this community, our goal is not to have a blessed lack of liver. Our goal is actually to fulfill God's mandate, and that's to make disciples, to advance His kingdom. So when we behave like this, when we take up our, our positions and serve those leaders over us in the way that we would serve Jesus, we are actually opening up a window and a door of grace for those people to meet with Jesus. Because you're going to suffer for 70 years maybe. But you know what? You're going to add to the kingdom because God will use your submission to authority, maybe even ungodly authority. He will use that to impact lost souls. Verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And it's talking about the day of the Lord that's, 
drawing near. It talks about the day of reckoning that's drawing near. So we need to use the time because we never know when somebody is going to die. This morning we got a phone call and Cornell's uncle, he's, he passed on. Just like that. He went in for emergency operation yesterday and he died on the operation table. You never know when your friend, your boss will pass on. But you being in your in their life, lives, you actually have opportunity to reveal Christ. And then Paul goes on and he thanks everybody and this lady who has a house church and this church in Laodicea. And then he ends off by saying, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And then he just adds this bit. Remember my chains. He just says, remember my chains. So Paul is in prison, he's writing to the church, and he's all excited about who Jesus is and our position in Christ and how Jesus triumphed over the powers and the principalities. But there's actually a little bit of a contradiction here, a paradox, because he's sitting in chains. But he's talking about Jesus' preeminence. And why is that? Because he is not living from a fleshly existence, but he's living from the truth in the spirit. And some of us need to get to that place, else we will never be able to suck it up and follow Jesus. I had a friend who was quite well internationally known for for athletics, uh, triathlon, and um, I would often spend time with him. He had to look at what he was eating here to train specific hours, wake up very early morning. He had to make many sacrifices to actually get to the prize of, of, of winning some medals on the international scene. But when you talk to him, you never hear about the sacrifices that he is making. He would every now and then, yes, he had to do this, we had to wake up this early, or he couldn't go to that party, etc., etc., but he would often talk about the absolute privilege to be able to, to contend for the highest accolade within the triathlon world. Why? Because the prize for him overshadows, overwhelms the sacrifice. And often when I speak to Christian, we often, we often so complain about our situation, our position, whether you're a slave in your job or you're a slave in your family or whatever, and you talk about the sacrifices that you're making. But God says, and Paul is just modeling it for us through Colossians, he's like, hey, I'm in chains, but I'm talking about Jesus, and I'm talking about how great he is, and I know because I understand the spiritual reality that he is king and he is victorious, therefore I cannot have a victim spirit. And listen to what, what Paul went through in 2 Corinthians, actually very sarcastically, he talks about all the things that he had to go through for Christ, the sufferings. But he doesn't talk too much about it because he wants to reveal that the price is so much glorious, more glorious than the sacrifice. Verse 22 Corinthians eleven twenty-three: Are they servants of Christ? And he's comparing themselves to these other high apostles. And he says, I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. So this is 
now the guy that's talking about Jesus and the power of following Jesus, and he's saying, suck it up and follow Jesus. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one, 39. Three times I've beaten, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And he's writing Colossians. And he's writing Philippians. Can you allow me to Philippians 4 verse 6? What said it? For What did I say? Jammer. 4 verse 4. The Philippians Philippians 4 verse 4. Play you in there. And that is Paul saying. So what is he doing? He has positioned himself within the spiritual reality where Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father and he is sitting with Jesus. So no earthly circumstance, difficult times, harshness, beatings, position that he has as a slave to people, whatever it might be, can overwhelm this reality that he is in Jesus and that Jesus is glorious. So therefore, he talks about Jesus all the time and he's saying, hey, suck it up and follow Jesus because once we do that, that is ultimate glory to Jesus. That's a way of worshiping Jesus. One day in heaven, everything's going to be fine and you will not have the opportunity again to worship Jesus in suffering. So let's, let's get over ourselves. Are you suffering? Yes, all of us are suffering. And should we have compassion on people suffering? Yes. Should we fight for, for, for the slave trade, human trafficking to end? Yes, we should stop it. But the place where we will get victory from is the place in Christ to understand that the sufferings that we suffer is nothing in comparison to what we have in Christ. Great. So I want us to stand. Band, you can come up. So God sees, He sees your pain. I'm not saying that He doesn't see your pain. I don't, I'm not saying that he, he doesn't care. When, when people come for counseling, I always feel God's compassion for them. And God, He understands what you're going through. The Bible says that we don't have a high priest that cannot relate to us, but He went through all the suffering so that we can have a reconciled relationship with the Lord. And that's going to end the moment we die. We're going to be with Him in blissful eternity. But now we need to make a decision in our minds and our hearts that we're going to allow the goodness of Christ to overwhelm us rather than the suffering in this world. Because you know what? That is the ultimate representation of who Jesus is. 
And I've spoken to a few of these people. They are suffering in their bodies. They are suffering in their marriages. They are suffering in, in, in all different ways. But when you speak to them, they just oozes Jesus. They just ooze Jesus. Why? Because they have made the decision to follow Jesus even in the face of adversity. So I want every eye to be closed. If you're in this room and, and you know that you need to follow Jesus, you've not made a decision, for you it's still more important to, to have earthly riches. And by the way, next week we're going to talk about wealth and God wants us to steward wealth well so we can have an impact in the community. I'm not against earthly riches. But your ultimate goal in life is just to be happy, to be comfortable, have blessed children. But today you want to say, hey, I want to come back to Jesus. I want to follow Him. And I'm willing to go where Paul went. Because I want everything that Jesus has for me. And also... I believe that through Jesus, I can have an impact in the world. So if, if that is you, just raise your hand very high. Just very high. Don't be shy. Say, I want to I come back to Jesus. And if you're in this room and you know you're complaining more than you are talking about who Jesus is and what He means for you, then I want you also to raise your hand because we're going to stop this complaining spirit. Paul Johnson said, God inhabits the praises of His people. The question is, who is inhabiting your complaining? Because when we say, suck it up and follow Jesus, we're not, we're not saying Jesus is a slave driver. We're saying that is the best prize. He is the ultimate loving, kind, merciful one. But He's not going to play according to your tune. You need to play according to His tune. And that's where the blessing lies. Okay, those of you who raised your hands, just very quickly just come forward. We want to pray for you. And then I'm just going to ask the, the band to just to sing the song, the gratitude song. Because we're going to become grateful followers of Jesus. We are grateful for what He has done for us. And we're going to stop complaining about our circumstances. And we're going to follow and value the kingdom values. So that people around us, the outsiders, can see Jesus in our lives. A difficult time financially, a difficult time in your marriage, it is the perfect opportunity for God to showcase Jesus through you. People will look at you and say, how did you do it? And you're going to answer, I don't know, by the grace of God, I suppose. Can I tell you about this wonderful Jesus? Okay, let's, let's all in view. Standing in front, they just worship this together and then we're going to pray for you.